1 Samuel chapter 28. Uh, David's been running from Saul. Saul's been trying to kill him. Now David's hiding in Philistine territory. He's in Gath. He's under the king of Achish there. It's interesting that he goes to the town of Goliath and finds refuge in that place. Uh, he's fully entrenched there. Back in Israel, Saul is still struggling because he has no connection to God, and there's a lot of trouble in Israel. I'm going to just ask the Lord to bless the word, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring it alive to us, and then I'm going to read you all 24 verses. Father, I thank you today for this time where we can come worship you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters uh, that we can come here together, Lord, and feast on your word and be in your presence. What a privilege it is. Holy Spirit, bless the word this morning. Make it come alive to us. As believers, you lead us and guide us into all truth. So uncover, do exposition, expose the truth and the gems and the hidden treasures that you've tucked away here in this chapter for us. And Father, I pray when we leave, we would be changed by the word. I pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. What an interesting chapter, a chapter in scripture that might seem like it doesn't even belong in the Bible because of some of the things that are done here and some of the things that happen, but it's part of scripture. It's a wake up call to us and it's relevant to us as Saul is cut off from God and he actually goes to a witch and contacts a medium to hear from the Lord because he's cut off from everything else. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now chapter three shifts gears and we go back uh, to the things of Israel concerning Saul. It says, now Samuel was dead and all Israel lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, say afraid. He was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Then Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urm or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. Then Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and went, and he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night and said, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name you. But the woman said to him, behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists in the land. Why are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up from the earth. 
He said to her, what is this form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe. Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed his face to the ground and did homage. Verse 15, then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and no longer answers me either through the prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has departed from you and has come to be your adversary? The Lord has done according as he has spoken through me for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman who came to Saul and saw he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hands and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also please listen to the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have your strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him. He listened to them, so he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it, and she took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. She brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate, and they rose, and they went away that night. Dead silence. <laughs> Powerful chapter, a little confusing, a little bit interesting on some of the things that happen here. Uh, verses 1 through 2, we see David is firmly entrenched in Gath. But now he's been playing games with the king of Achish. If you remember, he was going out and he was raiding places that were, you know, putting the Philistines in danger. He told Achish he was only raiding the places of Judah and Israel, but that wasn't true. So David was lying again and he was playing this man who gave him refuge. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. You can, you can kind of hustle people for a while, but if, if you're a hustler, you know eventually you get caught. Okay, you can lie, you can cheat, you can steal, you can cover up, you can spin. People do it all the time. But for David now, the rubber is about to hit the road. You say, how is that? Because now Achish says, hey, David, we're going to war against Israel. You coming? Wow. Now man that is eventually going to sit on a throne and rule a nation is faced with a choice to fight against and kill his own countrymen. And remember, every time David went out to battle, it was a slaughter for David's team. The Philistines were so happy not to be fighting against David. And Achish is like, look, I got a new weapon here. I got a new guy who's with me. I'm going to take him out and we're, you know, we're going to win this time. And, you know, now David has to make a decision. He can play, he can spin, he can hustle. But now is he going to kill his own countrymen, the people he'll eventually lead for the Philistines on Achish's behalf? What a dire predicament he's in. In verse two, David plays along with some of what's going on here. We don't know what's in his heart. We don't know 
how he feels about this. He's definitely a lover of Israel. He's estranged from his home because of Saul. But in verse 2, David said to Achish, very well. So he's saying, all right, yeah, I'm in. And he says, now I will show you what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So a, a lot of posturing there, a lot of vibrato there. What's David saying? Okay, yeah, I'm in. And I, I'm really anxious to prove how my prowess on the battlefield. Now in his heart, he's thinking, please, God, I don't want to kill my own countrymen. Yet before the king, he has a different voice. Then Achish, who's dealing with a guy who he's not sure where his loyalties lie, says, oh, great, I'll make you my personal bodyguard forever. So what I want you to see here is there's a lot of words being spoken, but they're not, they're, there might not be a lot of truth in the words that are spoken. And if you're ever in a situation like that where people are telling you what you want to hear or you're telling people what they want to hear, it is a very dangerous spot to be in. The truth is always the best option. That's a hard concept for some of us. Let me say it slower. The truth is always the best option. Amen. David's in a place where, you know, he has to make a decision here. And listen to Achish dangling that carrot in front of him. You're going to be my personal bodyguard forever. So Achish is thinking, if this guy kills his own countrymen, it's, it's done. I'm going to have this guy on my team forever. Plus, you know, he's not really quite sure how much he can trust David because he hasn't proven himself yet in that way. So there's an old adage that says, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies You all know it. Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. So there's a little bit of posturing. There's a little bit of politics here. There's some game playing that continues between Saul and Achish, but it is a very precarious moment for David uh, to see what he's going to do. The, the, the carrot is dangled in front of him, that position of personal bodyguard to the king. That is an honorable position, a position of influence and proximity to the king. So there's a lot at stake on both sides here. Meanwhile, back in Israel, Saul is in a real bad spot, and I'll tell you why. Because he's spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind, and he's in trouble. He has no access to God. He has no connection to God. He has no input from heaven, yet he's in a very precarious situation as the Philistines have massed a huge army and they are getting ready to attack Israel. So Saul is at his wit's end here because, you know, he's deaf, dumb, and blind spiritually. Now think about that. The person who is at the helm leading God's people has no connection to the God of the people he's leading. Wow. Not a good place to be. It's kind of like being a Christian sitting in church and you're in trouble, but you haven't been in the word. You don't pray. You, the messages that you've been hearing, you're not listening to them. You're not applying them to your life. You know that there's things in your life that are contrary to the word of God, yet you've given yourself license to do them anyway. Hello? Oh, but I'm a church goer. <laughs> Saul says, but I'm the king of Israel. And God says, I ain't talking to you. Because your actions and your attitude have cut you off from me. What an amazing... David's in a precarious spot. Saul is in a precarious spot. He's ruling, but he has no connection to God. Now, here are three reasons why Saul is in this place, and none of them are God's fault. Most of the time when we get in a bad spot, immediately, who do we blame? Somebody else besides the two people in the front row. When we get in a bad spot, who do we usually blame? Four people now. You know, it's part of our nature, it's part of our culture to shift the blame on somebody. 
Saul has nobody to blame but himself. Here's three reasons why Saul's in the dark. Number one, he repetitively disregarded and disobeyed the Lord's instructions until God had to cut him off. We cannot listen one times, two times, three times, four times, but there's a point where we refuse to hear the Holy Spirit. We refuse to listen to the Lord's word. We can sear our own conscience and sear our own heart, and God says, okay, if that's what you want to do, do it. Now remember, we're in a covenant of grace here because of the cross, so there's repentance and forgiveness and restoration for us as New Testament Christians. For Saul, he was under a law covenant. It was one, two, three strikes, you're out. And God didn't have to give him the second two strikes. There was no grace there. So he's cut off. And it's a really bad place to be. But it's his own fault because he disobeyed and disregarded God time and time again. Number two, the reason he's cut off from any spiritual insight is because he killed all the priests. Do you remember what Saul did in, in, in Nob? He, he slaughtered all the priests with the sword that day. Why? Because he was jealous. He thought that they had sided with David against him. So in a blind, murderous rage, he has them all killed. Now, if you understand the Old Testament covenant and the Old Testament system, who inquired for the king to the Lord? Starts with a pre and it ends with an east. The priests, Right? I mean, so like you're mad that you're in the dark now, but you killed, you cut your connection off. You literally killed all the priests. We have to be careful with impulsiveness and recklessness and rage. Many times we can cut ourselves off from the very thing that would actually save us. The third reason Saul's in the dark is this. Samuel, who was the only source of input he had, has now died. So the prophet is dead and he has no connection uh, with him anymore. And we're going to see he's really desperate to make that connection. In verse 3, it tells us Saul had done a good thing in driving all the occultists out of Israel. But that good thing that he did, (laughs) you know, many times we have to see Saul's not all bad. Nobody's all bad. Hello? If you're not answering, are you all bad? No. Even bad people have some good qualities, right? You know, he stole $10 million, but he gave me a donut. You know, not all bad. Not all of us, you know, we're not all bad. We're not all good. The thing is, we're all sinners. We need grace. But Saul's not all bad. He did some good things. He, he started off well. Uh, it says, now Samuel was dead, and all Israel lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums, and spiritists. That's a good thing. Saul did a God thing in driving them out. Why? Because they were associated with pagan idolatrous worship and and the occult and demonic things. And the scripture's clear that that has no place in the life of believers. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but Saul did a good thing. He drives them out and that's good. But now consider this. He's looking for the very people he drove out because they were spiritual darkness in them, but because he's in such a place of spiritual darkness, they're his only link to the other world. Wow. That should blow your mind a little bit. See, that's the nature of sin. The very sin we condemn and drive out, oftentimes if we don't drive sin out completely, we go back to it. 
That's the nature of sin. It's very attractive. It's very alluring. And so Saul is in this place where he did a godly thing. He drove out the occultists and he drove out the witches and the, the mediums. Uh, but now his personal relationship with God is so over that they're his only link and uh, he, he wants to connect with them again. Verses four, four through six, we see him in that tight spot. Why? Because the Philistines have raised a massive army and put it in array for the attack. So Israel is in trouble. Now I want you to see Saul's response here. He doesn't have God with him. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit on him. And he, there's a big army that's gathered up in verse four. So the Philistines gathered together and camped in Shunem and Saul Saul gathered his army together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw, I want you to see that he's seeing with his eyes. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So the king's response to the enemies of God's people is fear and trembling. Now, if you weren't here a couple Wednesdays, ago, Pastor Frank preached a message on uh, fear and, and how fear is actually the enemy's only weapon that he uses to undermine our faith. Anytime we are seeing something that makes us afraid, we have got to rally up our faith and quench fear in it. Understand something. Faith will drown fear. Your faith will drown fear. Man, the enemy can ramp things up and make it look terrifying. And sometimes life is terrifying. Have you ever been in a terrifying situation? Heard terrifying news? You know, if you think about it, if it isn't church here today, we got a report that, you know, some nation shot an EMP over our ground and they killed our power grid and now we have no power and our military's been attacked and we have uh, foreign troops on American soil and America is at war. I guarantee the prevailing feeling, even in the church, instantly would be fear. And you say, well, you know, that's human nature. Yeah, it is human nature. But as for believers, even if our reflex is fear, uh, we should uh, repel that fear instantaneously with faith. To let your faith rise up and to know that God will protect and God will take care of his people and God will preserve and God can keep us in times of famine, in times of war, in times of disaster. That's the God we serve. We need faith. We need faith. It's just so many of us are so inexperienced in faith that all we know is fear. So that's what we run to. You know, General Patton, one time the troops were under attack in World War II. He had five advisors with him. He said, you four guys panic and you come with me. Because <laughs> he understood human nature. But for a believer, we don't stay in fear. And the more mature we get, the more we repel it instantly. Saul sees with his eyes. He sees the big army. He sees all the chariots. He sees all the spears. He sees all the warriors. And he's afraid and he's terrorized. He knows God's not with him and he doesn't know what to do. So while he's in a tight spot, he does what all people do. He cries out to God. You know, it's amazing. People who don't come to church, don't have a relationship with God. People who say they're atheists, they don't believe in God. The minute that stuff comes unglued and it's bigger than them and they're scared, 90% of people cry out to God. Isn't it amazing? There's an old expression in the military. There's no atheist in foxholes. Why? Because when the bullets are flying and people are dying and, and their scream and their noise and all that stuff, it'll terrify you. And all of a sudden your intellectualism and your philosophy and all your high-minded, uh, you know, puffy theories just evaporate. When the bullet hits the bone, it gets real. Huh. Such a coddled generation that we haven't even been tested in this way yet. 
God, help us that we would learn to develop our faith before the battle begins, that we learn to trust our God. Saul can't trust God because God's cut him off, and so he's in terror, and he cries out to God. Now, I want you to see verse 6 here is going to be stunning to some people who, who just, you know, have more philosophy than Bible knowledge because you would think, well, anytime you cry out to God, he answers. Listen to verse 6. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Is that a misprint? The king of Israel? When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Now, basically, there was no connection there. And I want you to see what's happening here. God would often speak to his leaders and to his people through dreams. Uh, you know, there was no dream for Saul. He was getting no uh, revelation from God. It talks about the Urim. And you might think, well, what in the world is that? The priests in the Old Testament used something called the Urim and the Thummim. We don't know exactly how it worked, but it seemed like there was some sort of dice or something that they would cast. You see the casting of lots in the New Testament. They would cast this thing and God would speak to the priest through the Urim and the Thummim. There was no intel coming in because he killed all the priests. And there were no prophets that would speak to him. Why? Because he was an ungodly, wicked, unstable man. <laughs> wow, it's quiet. And Saul is cut off and he has no connection with God and he's in trouble. He's in a bad spot and he's spiritually cut off. God help us if we ever allow ourselves to get in a situation like that. We quit praying. We quit reading the word. Soon after that, we quit going to church. Then we have offenses and we don't. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we, are, we drift away from God. Thank God in the New Testament, there's always a way back. There's always a place of repentance. God always hears the cry of sinners that the Holy Spirit is married to the backslider. Wow. We are so blessed to live after the cross. But Saul is not in that place. He's fearful. He's desperate. And he reaches out to the occult in verse 7. What a sad situation for the king of Israel. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I will go to her and inquire of her. And, she, and the servants said, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. So some of, the, uh, some of the translations talk about the witch of Endor. Whatever you want to call her, a psychic, a medium, a witch. She's in Endor. And I want to ask one question. How did his men know that? Were they secretly going to the Psychic Friends Network? <laughs> Getting their palms read, reading the tarot cards? Were they secret? Was Israel still flirting with the demonic things of the occult? How do the king's top advisors know? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know what a witch is at. Wow. So, verse 8, Saul disguised himself, and he goes to her by night to contact her. He puts on some old clothes. I don't know what he did if he... You know, he disguised himself, put on a hat, maybe that the glasses with the nose and the mustache. I don't know how he did it. But somehow he has to disguise himself because the king is going to a witch. And so, you know, he does that. In verses 9 and 10, he wants the witch to do something for him. He, he goes to her. He has a very specific request. The woman said to him, well, in verse 8, he disguises himself, puts on these clothes, and he went with the two men with him. And they came to the woman, and here's his request. Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. Verse 9, the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done. Absolutely he knows. He's Saul. She doesn't know that yet. How he has cut off all those who are mediums and spiritists in the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring me to death? Now listen to Saul's response. He vows to her by the Lord saying, Oh, could this be any more blasphemous? 
He, he takes the Lord's name in vain. He swears by the Lord. As the Lord lives, he has no business saying that. No punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. So there's Saul's request. He's cut off. He needs some intel. He's scared. He's terrorized. He goes to a witch. He, he, he goes to the occult and he wants to see Samuel. And you know, the witch knows that this is a, a bad situation, uh, that she's putting her life at risk. And it's a, it's a precarious moment for both of them. Saul guarantees you won't be punished. So what she does in verse 11 and 12 is that, you know, she, she begins to do the thing he asked for. Now, let me say a couple things about, you know, the kingdom of darkness and the dark arts. Most of what we see in fortune telling and palm reading, and like I said, the, the, the psychics that are on TV and all that stuff, most of that stuff is just straight up fraud. In fact, some of you old enough to remember when they had the Psychic Friends Network on TV and people will call. And you know what? They were stealing and they were eluding people and they were frauds. In a day, the FBI swooped in and closed them all down. Now, if they were psychics, why didn't they see that coming? You didn't see that coming? You, you know what my Uncle Waldo was doing? He's been dead for 100 years, but you couldn't see that one. So it's fake, it's a fraud. But let me say something on the other side of the coin. There are those who practice these things that are in touch with the demonic realm. And it's very real. The kingdom of darkness is real. Now you say, but you know, the, the devil doesn't know everything, but he knows more than we do. And he's been operating for millennia and he knows the past and he can predict the future and he knows a lot of stuff about us, things that we said. So the dark arts there uh, many times are a fraud but sometimes they are legitimate and here's what i want to say about them they are always bad scripture always forbids them they are a counterfeit to the spiritual gifts that god has given to the body of christ the person who tries to predict the future by spirits and by conjuring things is just counterfeiting the prophetic gifts that were given to the church I want you to see that the enemy never creates anything, never has anything that the body doesn't have. All he does is counterfeit and copy what we have. If you look in the book of Revelation, the false prophet and the beast and all of them, they're going to counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit. They're going to do signs and wonders and miracles. Be careful about being too excited about signs, wonders, and miracles because even the enemy can counterfeit them. And many in the body of Christ will prophesy by other spirits than the Holy Spirit. The scripture talks about those who prophesy by, by Baal, by the devil. You can call up for $29.95. You can get yourself a personal prophecy. I don't think so. Quiet now. Charismaniacs. <laughs> so she conjures up and she speaks to Samuel and uh, what happens here, it, it kind of blows, you know, our mind a little bit and, and, and makes us have to think about, you know, what's going on here, why God allows some of this stuff. Verses 11 and 12, uh, he's cut off. He needs somebody to talk to. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she, so she's doing her thing, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke up saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said, I, I see a divine being coming up from the earth. 
And she, he said, what is his form? He's an old man coming up and he's wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and bowed his face to the ground. So realize what we have going on here is this person is doing the dark arts here. They're contacting Samuel. And it seems by every account that this is Samuel. We're going to hear him speak to Saul in just a minute. Uh, you know, he says, the, 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 I see a a divine figure. Some translations say a ghostly figure. So it's a spirit. It's not a, a, a human body, but it has a form and he's coming up out of the earth. So let's just take a look at that for a second. The righteous dead didn't go to heaven when they died in the Old Testament. Those who were righteous uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel, the people of God, died looking forward to the cross in faith. And God allowed them to go to a place, not of torment, but a holding place, until when? Until Jesus died on the cross. That's why the scripture says Jesus died. He descended into hell and he liberated captivity. Who is captivity? The righteous dead that died looking forward in faith to the cross. So Moses and Isaac and, and all the Old Testament saints, eventually David, and, and they're all there. And so Jesus liberates them at some point, but he was in a place called Abraham's bosom. Matthew gives us an account that Abraham's bosom was a place of holding for the righteous dead outside of Sheol, which was hell, which were those who died who were unrighteous. So basically what's happening here is that he's being called out of Abraham's bosom. Now, there are a lot of clues and accounts in scripture that would tell us that hell is created in the bowels of the earth. And so it's interesting that she says he's coming up out of the earth. What she's saying here falls in line with scripture, which leads me to believe it's actually Samuel. Now we're going to hear what Samuel has to say, and it is the word of the Lord, and it comes to pass exactly as he says it, Saul immediately bows down before him. Samuel up from Abraham's bosom, not hello, not how you doing. Why did you bother me? <laughs> Grumpy old prophet. Verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul said, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and no longer answers me and all the prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I call on you that you may, may make known to me what I should do. So there's a lot of me, 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 me in there. And I emphasize them so you would catch it. And, and he's you know, putting this on Samuel. And Samuel's response is interesting. Samuel says in 16, why then do you ask me, <laughs> there's a me for him, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary. This is a really interesting response. It's one we need to think of. If we're not right with God, if we're not in right relationship with him, if we're entangled in sin, if we're full of pride, if we're full of self-righteousness, if we have to control everything and want everything our own way, we're like Saul and we have no access to God. And think about this. Samuel's saying, if you're at odds with God, how am I going to help you? See, and as a pastor, I can definitely relate to what Samuel's saying. It's amazing. People who come to church will violate everything in here. You know, well, I'm not doing the right thing. I don't give. I'm not, I don't attend consistently. I'm living with my boyfriend. I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm in adultery. But pastor, lay hands on me and make it all go away. How in the world am I going to do that? Samuel is basically saying, if God's against you, I can't help you. You and I need to get right with God before we run to anybody else to make it all better. Amen. Amen. Now, I know that kind of preaching don't fill seats. 
But I would rather have a small group that's excited about being, you know, godly and doing God's word than a big place full of driftwood. Because we can do more for the kingdom of God when our hearts are right. Saul wants Samuel to make it all go away. He doesn't want to be right. He just wants to, you know, have things go his way. And that's always been his problem. Samuel is like, I can't help you if God's against you. Uh, and then in verse 17, there again, the prophetic edge of Samuel goes beyond the grave. Prophets are not known for their bedside manner. They're not pastors. They don't give it to you with a spoonful of sugar. He's, he's kind of old and I mean, he, he's still wearing a robe, which means he's still cold and he's still crotchety and he's just Listen to his response here in 17 and 18. Wow, you know, it's, it's totally uh, unvarnished. It's just blunt, and he just lets it rip. He says, the Lord has done according as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. So we're off to a good start here. How you doing, uh, verse 18? As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath against Amalek, so the Lord has done this to you this day. Listen to 19. Moreover, the Lord will also give Israel, Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. You're dead, Saul, and your sons are dead. And Israel's going to take a thumping on the battlefield. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him for he had not eaten no food all day or all night. So Samuel gives it to him, both barrels, unvarnished, the blunt truth. It's devastating to Saul and it lays him out flat. Think about that for a second. Have you ever been in a place in life where, you know, you got the truth, you got the unvarnished truth, you got devastating news? quiet, isn't it? Thank God for grace in the New Testament. Thank God for this is where you're at, but you can repent and you can get right. Thank God that God uses these things just to wake us up, not to destroy us, but to get us to repent so he can bless us because he loves us. None of us are beyond the reach of the blood of Jesus. We talked about the most powerful substance known to man, the blood of Jesus. Yet, Old Testament, Saul's in a, a law covenant. There's no grace there for him. And we should see the difference and we should be thankful for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The Lord's executing judgment against you. He's saying, the Lord's doing exactly what I said he would do to you. Wow. Samuel reminds Saul that he's cut off for his own disobedience. And that's, you know, 19 and 20 are just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a one, two, three combination. Jab, cross, hook. Listen, he says, you'll be beaten by the Philistines. Bam. By tomorrow, you and your sons will be dead. Bam. The Philistines will prevail against Israel on the battlefield. Bam. Saul's laid out. He has to accept the truth here. And then we see that, you know, even beyond the grave, the prophet Samuel is speaking the judgment of God that was prophesied over Saul's life for his disobedience. Now, Saul is so shaken by the bombshell that he can't collect himself. He doesn't want to eat. He hasn't eaten in a couple days. He's laying there like a dead man. They basically prop him up. Now, after the witch does her deal there, she's nervous and she's anxious. I want you to look at the response here. Uh, verses 21 to the end of the chapter. 
The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you and have taken my life into your hands. So the witch is terrified. Saul's terrified. Everybody's terrified. The two people with him, they got to be terrified at what they just heard. So, you know, it is a tense moment there. So what does she do? She wants to feed them and get them out of her house. Now you have the, uh, the witch is going to make us a meal. Well, isn't that she's a good hostess. What does she make? Devil's food cake for dessert? I don't know. <laughs> so she kills a fatted calf. She puts it together. She makes some unleavened bread. She props the king up. She feeds him like weekend at Bernie's and she wants him out. Okay, get this. And that's the nature of sin. You know, sometimes when we sin and we cross the line, immediately we, we, we just want to get away from it. We don't want to be reminded of it. We don't want to think about the consequences of it. What's done here is it's been dark. It's been evil. Yet the word of the Lord got to Saul. It's devastating. She props him up. She feeds him. She sends him packing. And Saul goes home knowing that his, his days are literally numbered to hours. And I want you to see something here as we close this chapter out. What a contrast between the life of David and the life of Saul. How because Saul was disobedient and wanted his own way and refused to submit to authority and wouldn't listen to God, God rejected him. Yet David was an imperfect man and had sinned and we're going to see things in his life. Yet God sees the brokenness of his heart in his sin and says, he's a man after my own heart. One God lifts up and the other God grinds into the dirt. And the difference is the heart. Will we be humble? Will we repent? Will we be humble in the hands of God? Or will we be stiff-necked and want our own way? The choice is so clear. Even though David wasn't a perfect man, it's much better to have a heart like his than a heart like Saul's. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you today for this chapter and for all that's in here, and Father, all the things we've seen and heard, it might seem just incredible that it's gotten to this place for Saul, but this is a picture of the downward spiral of sin. Father, none of us are more powerful than it. When we give ourselves over to it, it sucks us right down to the depths. We begin to do and say things we thought we'd never do and say. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here this morning and you see the trajectory of your life and you say, you know what, I need, to, I need an intervention. I need a change. I, I need a clean slate and a fresh start. The good news, the gospel is that Jesus offers that to all of us.